For I feared you because you were an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you. You wicked servant, you knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that every one who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. But bring the, here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Wow. He is in the house of Zacchaeus, likely, the wee little man who just repented and said, I will restore fourfold of all that I have taken unjustly. Salvation has come to this house, Zacchaeus. And in their hearing, while they were hearing these words, he taught this parable because some were expecting the kingdom to come immediately. Jesus is emerging now as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's, it's no bars held anymore. He's speaking as the supreme judge of the world. And they want this kingdom to come immediately. Come on, Jesus, let's get it going. Let's do this. And he realized they do not yet understand the nature of this kingdom. They don't understand the nature of this king. My disciples, even the twelve, they just, they just don't get it. And so he taught this parable of the minas or pounds. A mina is three months' wages. That's quite an advance from a nobleman to give to his workers, his servants, and of his household, his servants, to go and do business. I'm going to give you a three-month advance. Do the math for yourself if you're an earner. What would that be for you? It's a pretty good, a pretty good amount of money to, to be gifted with, to do something with, isn't it? Jesus... <clears throat> Born a helpless babe. Born in a manger. Was called Emmanuel. God with us. He was raised a carpenter's son, but he spoke like no man ever spoke. He earned a designation as a prophet of God, but yet he claimed to be equal with God. He worked tirelessly to heal the sick, but he wasn't satisfied with that. He wanted to heal their souls. He suffered immeasurably that he might demonstrate the boundless love of God, and he died that through the power of God, he might be raised up to give hope to all men and to, to declare the glory of God. To all the earth. As he nears the final week of his earthly ministry, he fully emerges now as Lord. That which his brothers said to him in, in the prior year as he went to the feast, why don't you just make yourself known? But he 
came quietly during the feast and slipped into town and emerged on the scene teaching. Now is emerging as the Son of God. His authority is being challenged. His disciples are being impatient. He's misunderstood. And this parable, this parable, when understood properly, will clarify a number of things. For the servants of this newfound king, for his servants, some things will be made clear. For those who say, I want your citizenship, I'll even wear your name, but I reject your reign, he has something to say. And if, how, and if judgment will begin in the house of God first, what will be the end of those without? That's not even in the parable. It goes without saying. But he establishes himself here as a nobleman who goes away to receive a kingdom. Did you think perhaps that Jesus was in his kingdom right now? He is not. He is still preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, at hand is becoming closer and closer. It's coming nearer and nearer. The time is almost nigh. He's entering into Jerusalem now. Upon the teaching of this parable, he heads up for his final entrance into Jerusalem. After that period of about eight days, he'll find himself intentionally hanging on a cross outside the gate. He has something to say. His first words to his disciples were, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He's close to the day now where he will say his last words to the disciples. Go and make disciples. Go and fish for men. I'll make you fishers of men. And he's about to get to the point after these three and a half years where he says, go fish for men. Go and make disciples. There are some things that you need to understand yet. I work and my Father works, John records, Jesus saying. I work and my Father works. The night is coming where no man will work. But I work while it is day. I work while it is day. Paul said, redeem the time. He's turning to his disciples now and saying, you'll need to redeem the time. The kingdom will come suddenly, but it won't come emerging on the scene in all of its fullness and glory with observation immediately. They thought it would come immediately. No, it would come suddenly, but it would unfold gradually as it disseminated through the people of Jerusalem and out into Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. And even today, it is still penetrating. It is still disseminating. It is still emerging in the lives of people all across this globe. So it's not immediate. It's sudden, but it's gradual. But the power is nonetheless the same. Here's how the power, though, is displayed. They wanted immediate dominance nationally, politically. Let's get this going. Let's get rid of these Romans. Let's get Pilate out of here. Come on, Jesus, you're about to go up to Jerusalem. We're ready. But it came with service. Servant leadership. No, that's not what we want. Well, that's what you're going to get. 
It didn't come with violence. I'll bet deep down inside Simon the Zealot was going, mm, they're about to get theirs. I've subdued myself now for three and a half years. I think I understand who this man is. Now is the time. Now is the time. He's going to overthrow Rome and cast them out. We're going to reclaim our borders and our boundaries and our temple. And we're going to... It came in peace. They thought it would come with a great conquering. Well, it did. But it was a conquering of sin through the suffering of shame. This nobleman, Jesus said, went to a country to receive a kingdom. In Daniel chapter 7, turn there with me. You'll enjoy this. You want to see the power of prophecy? In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision, and when we read through the Old Testament, if it's the first time through, you say, what in the world? And you could read the New Testament. You could read this parable, and you could read this Passion Week, and you could still look at Daniel and say, what? If you're not careful, you'll miss it. But yet it's so obvious. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, I was watching in the night visions. Daniel is in the Spirit. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Then all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel saw this scene of one like the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days, to the Father, brought before Him, and the Father bestowed upon Him a kingdom. And then He reigned forever and ever in that kingdom. Do you know when that happened? It happened when Jesus ascended, not resurrected, ascended on high after that 40 days that Luke records in Acts chapter 1. After His resurrection, and then remaining with the disciples and amongst the people teaching and preaching the kingdom of God for 40 days. He ascended from that mountain. How? In the clouds. He was taken up. The angel said he'll return in like manner. And Daniel foresaw that he would come in the clouds and be brought before the Father and receive a kingdom. Here is Jesus saying there was a certain nobleman who went into a far away kingdom or place to receive a kingdom and he returned that is prophecy and its fulfillment well gifts were given to his servants gifts were given to men Paul wrote, by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit imparted gifts to the servants of this king. Ephesians chapter 4, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 12. 
gifts were given to the servants. In this parable, three months' wages. What are they to do with this? I want you to follow as a servant in the kingdom the parallel here without me insulting your intelligence and having to make too much of an over-explanation. You're a servant in the kingdom, right? You've been given a gift. We understand, I believe, as we're learning, especially from the Sunday morning class, and if you're not attending that Sunday morning class, it's, it's, a, it's a vital piece of what we're learning, who we're becoming, and what we're going to be doing. You need to attend that Sunday morning class. Anthony is teaching about God's gift giving to you and what we're to do with it. Well, we learn in this parable what he gave, a gift, and what they were to do with it. He's going to leave this with them to do what? What does it say there? To do business. What business? What business? Who, whose business? Remember Jesus at age 12 at the feast in the temple with the elders and, and, and priests and scribes and the Pharisees. And he turned to his mother and father who were distraught. They had lost him for three days. And he said, know ye not? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? He left the servants with gifts to do business. What business? Our father's business. Well, what business is that? Come and I'll make you fishers of men. Last words. Go and make disciples of all nations. Beginning in Pickerington, in Fairfield County, and then into Ohio, in the United States, and in the other, uttermost parts of the world. But begin here. Begin here. Begin in Jerusalem and go outward. Make disciples with what I'm giving you. Well, what did they do? We'll talk about that in a second, but let's talk about those in verse 14. <clears throat> Citizens of the kingdom, not aliens, not foreigners, not heathens, not pagans. Citizens of the kingdom who said, we will not have this man to reign over us. Wow, Jesus, what are you trying to say? He's trying to say there are those who will be chinos, Christians in name only, who will gladly reap the benefits of the kingdom, who will gladly enjoy all of the pleasantries that come with the kingdom, but this business that you want us to tend to, this business of sanctification, of spiritual formation, of going and fishing for men, I, I hate that. I just, I reject that. I will not have him be Lord. I want him to be my Savior. Yes. Uh, I want him to be my Savior. I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins. And I want to enjoy all the beauties of the kingdom. But this Lordship thing, who does he think he is? Does he not know I'm about my business? These citizens. The citizens who reject him as Lord. He gathers them together later. You'll see 
if you didn't catch it already, by looking down at the last verse of the parable. But when he comes back, he calls first before him who? His servants. Those servants that he blessed with gifts. He called them to himself and asked for an account. They came before him. Three are given. They each were given the same amount in this parable. Not to be confused with the parable of the talents or the unprofitable servants. This is its own teaching. Distinct, separate, singular, only place in the scripture right here. This is its own teaching just like this. They were all given gifts. They all had the capability of taking that gift and growing it and even multiplying it. And the first came and he brought the gift with ten more minus. It made ten. Isn't that a like thousand percent increase? That's beyond the interest that you would receive at a bank, isn't it? This person, it's implied, actually took it and didn't just distribute it in one way. He took it and he multiplied it. He planted in unplanted fields, in unsown fields, he went and he planted and invested and took risk because of the deep respect and love he had for his master and that he knew his master. He knew what his master wanted. He knew what he meant when he said, take this and do business. He knew what it meant. It meant addition, but it meant multiplication. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. Wow. What a blessing. The second comes to him and says, Master, your mina has earned five. Well done. You also be over five cities. And then another came. Another came not as being emphasized as the most important part of the parable. All of this, I believe, is equally important. You can focus on the first servant and say, I am going to be that servant. Or you can focus on this one, and you can say, this scares the lights out of me. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is not telling them this parable to strike fear into them, he is going to give this account to strike the fear out of you. He's striking fear out. There's no place for fear. There's no place for safety. There's no place for idleness, for complacency, for stagnancy, for nothingness. There's no place for that. So he comes to him and he says, for I feared you, because you're an austere man. That word austere means one who exacts. In other words, he's made his expectation clear and he is exacting a response. He is asking for an account. He's demanding an account. 
he is expecting exactly what he set forth to be expected. He's exacting measuring. That's what it means. I knew you were an austere man. You collect what you didn't deposit. And you reap where you didn't even sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you. You knew that I was an austere man. You knew that I had expectations and that I would demand an account. You knew that. You knew I said do business. Why then did you not at least give it to the bankers and receive it back with interest? Why did you not at least grow it a little? Be careful, Christians, lest you say, well, if, if I'm the person, if I'm the third servant, because I'm, I really don't believe in myself, because I have a spirit of timidity and not a spirit of power, I think I'll settle for just growing. It seems like he might get off the hook if he just deposits it in the bank. That is not what the master wants when he says, do business till I come. He wants multiplication. He wants planting in fields that he hadn't even sown. He wants you investing in places and areas that no one tells you expect you to go do that. He wants you looking for ways to take this gift and multiply it to produce a crop. 30, 60, or hundredfold. A thousand percent or five hundred percent. At least grow. He said, take the mina from him and give it to one who has ten. Parenthetical statement. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. That, that wouldn't be fair. It, it wouldn't be fair, actually, if you exacted this thing in such a way as the, the servants either passed or failed. Can't I just receive a D minus? Can't you just, can't you just pass him through? Push him on through the pearly gates? Can't you do that? He said, take what I have given him. The gracious gift of life, the gracious gift of love, the gracious gift of liberty that he has squandered, that he has fearfully hidden, that he has not shown outside of himself nor pushed past his own nose. And give it to the one who's going to do some multiplication with it. It is these I am going to bless. It is these I'm going to bless. God will not bless idleness. He will not. Whew. Well, but I'm still a citizen. My citizenship will get me in, right? I think, I think you got that by now. Those citizens, he called together and said, slay them before me. Just as those who rejected the kingdom altogether, just as those powers of darkness, Satan and his angels, have a place reserved for them in the depths of hell, 
So the heathen who reject God as God, who are pleasers of themselves and worshipers of idols, will be placed there. And those who have been touched by God personally with gifts and have hidden them under a mattress, they will be there too. The kingdom is within you. It's where you go. That's how it grows. That's how it goes. It goes forth. It, it doesn't remain in a building with the doors open. Now we don't even like to open the doors. And we got people watching the doors for weirdos to come in and shoot us. We don't even want to open the doors. And we come in, and we shut the doors, and we feel really safe in here. Let's do business here together. We might grow a little bit. We might grow a little bit. I might, I might leave stronger than when I came. But I can't multiply with my gift in this building. I can't multiply. I think you see probably where this is going. Go with the authority that I have been given from the ancient of days. All authority in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. Disciple yourself, sure, be one, but make one. But go. Go and make disciples. Where do I start? Make a disciple of yourself. Make a disciple of your spouse. Make a disciple of your children. Make a disciple of your friends. Make a disciple now of your co-workers. Make a disciple of strangers. Make disciples by touching their lives with your gifts. This is how important it is that we understand that we've been gifted for ministry in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. God has created every man, woman, and child alive to come to know Him, to live with Him in glory. And sin has driven a wedge between every man. You have found your way back by your seeking and His finding. You've found your way back if you have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you put your trust in Him and you decisively repented and turned your life over to Him and said, I'll accept Him as my Savior and my Lord, you confess Him before men. You become a follower of Jesus Christ. And at that time, the Holy Spirit gave you a gift, at least one. He gave you a gift. It might show itself in a very overt, obvious way for all to see. Or it may work seamlessly, quietly, subtly, strengthening and undergirding the body of Christ providing light for others to see outside of here. It might be a foot. It might be an eye. That doesn't matter. You've got a mina. You've been gifted until he returns. What are you going to do with that gift? 
Jesus said this, he went to the cross. I don't know if I'm worth it. He went to the cross for you. I'm still not sure he loves me. He went to the cross after this. I'm not sure I can do it. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure I want to. Jesus didn't either. But he did it. Out of necessity. Out of mission. Out of understanding his father's business in creating this world and creating you. He went and he did it. Praying that perhaps the cup could pass from him. He did it. Uncomfortable isn't the word there for that. What he went through. Don't worry about your comfort. We've got comfort coming, church. We've got eternal rest from this world coming. Work while it is day. This is going to be the MO of this church from here forward as long as it's under the watch of Tim Hahn and Randy Hinton and Rick Gamp and Ken Davis and Sam Collier and as long as Anthony Rex and Matt Thomas are preaching. This is our MO. We are no longer okay living near and around sinners without trying to make disciples. We're not okay with it. So we're calling you up. We're calling you forward. Jesus did this. We are doing this. We're calling you to come with us and make disciples of that. There is no greater thing in the world that you can be about doing. All else melts away into the recesses of the shadows when you hold this mission of God for mankind up in its proper place. I hope you'll get on mission with us as we learn, as we grow, and as we multiply. If you want to become a disciple of Jesus and become a member of His body, a citizen of His kingdom, a servant, gifted, you can do that today as we stand and sing this song.